Why would anyone decide to call themselves a witch? Especially women and queer folk who for millennia have been targeted as the other, seen as dangerous, in league with the devil, or even called the devil themselves. Why on earth, after years, hell, thousands of years of bearing witness to the devastation that being called a witch has brought upon other humans, would people decide to describe themselves as a witch? It took me a few years to fully identify as a witch, but embracing witchcraft while deconstructing Christianity saved my life, truly. In 2016, in the time between seminary and being ordained, I was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis. That massive initial flare ravaged my body, and I experienced the most excruciating pain of my life. At one point, I couldn't even walk without help. I had spent years ignoring the signs my body was giving to me as I was constantly burning myself out while doing the Lord's work. A few years later, after leaving a congregation in Atlanta, congregation where I signed the first of two NDAs during my short career as clergy, I had a massive panic attack. I was fine, and then suddenly I wasn't. My face and my body went numb. I thought I was having a stroke. I was taken to the hospital in an ambulance where my blood pressure was 170 over 135. The stroke rolled out. I thought I was having a heart attack. I had panic attacks before, but this one, just damn. And it wasn't the last one like that either. I had been managing my emotions with the help of my friends Jack Daniels and RuPaul. And while despite numbing the pain and trauma, they did nothing to help with the fact that the, my world was falling apart. I was getting divorced. The mission development that I had planted lost its funding because myself and my co-developers refused to work with a mediocre white male pastor who wanted that mission development for himself. And so the career that I had spent years jumping through hoops to secure made me feel deeply frustrated and incredibly unhappy. I had never learned how to listen to my body or trust my intuition as neither of those things was something that was embraced, let alone taught, in my formation as a Christian. So I decided to find a therapist. I did, and we did some really tough work together. And then one day, on a whim, I bought an oracle deck. I was having problems relating to the deity that Christina Cleveland so perfectly describes in her book, God as a Black Woman, as the white male sky daddy, even before I left the church. Being raised a fundamentalist Pentecostal fucked me up, and being a mainline Protestant pastor left me feeling empty and pissed off. The buildings and the music were beautiful, and I loved the ritual. But I was a pastor in a country club where only certain people are welcome, regardless of what the marketing materials say. But it really came down to the fact that I could no longer do the mental gymnastics that required me to defend a God that isn't good, while ignoring history and archaeology and the view that women are responsible for the fall of all humankind. But of all the beliefs that I have shed from my time as a Christian, the one I hold on to is surprising because it comes from, of all people, the Apostle Paul. Yeah, that guy. 
As strange as that may be, I agree with Paul when he told people to work out their own salvation with fear and trembling. And y'all, that's what I did. And that's what I'm doing. So I'm a witch. I'm a witch. I'm a witch. I'm still learning what that means. I learn from other witches, from nature, the cycles of the moon, my ancestors. I engage with the tarot as a spiritual practice. A spiritual practice that, by the way, has been the most consistent spiritual practice I have ever had. And I do not say that to brag. I say that because reading the Bible or doing Bible study never did it for me. Even when I was trying to prove that I was good enough to get into heaven, even as clergy, never, ever. And maybe some of you former Christians were the type that got up at 4 a.m. to pray and read your Bible for two hours before you went off to work or out into the world. That was not me. I definitely loved sleep more than I loved Jesus. I am sure that I have made many mistakes in my practice, if you can call them mistakes. Because for me, there is no deity looking over my shoulder, judging my intentions, waiting to label me as a sinner. I mess up. I learn. I do better. Rinse and repeat. But while I call myself a witch, I understand that to do so is a privilege. For most of history, emphasis on the his, which has been a condemnation, a way of othering, a way of instilling fear and wielding patriarchal power. I understand that this privilege I experience is because I live in the United States, as problematic as this country may be. There are places in this world, though, where women are still banished and executed because they are called witch. As a witch, I feel like I am part of something bigger, a movement, and I am not alone. I'm a PhD student, and I research women in religion and the history of witches and witch trials. My current project is researching why women are leaving the church to practice witchcraft. Most of this work I do using hashtags on social media, especially TikTok. How do I know this is a movement? Consider the number of views that certain hashtags have. For example, hashtag witch, as of this recording, has 28.4 billion views. Hashtag deconstructing religion has 13.6 million views. Hashtag deconstructing Christianity has 31.6 million views. Hashtag Jesus, which I recently discovered, has 5.4 million views. And hashtag Christian Witch has 78.2 million views. But even beyond the hashtags, let's consider the work of Dr. Ryan Berg, professor of political science from Eastern Illinois University, whose research shows that beginning with the greatest generation, I guess they got to name themselves, each subsequent generation is less religious than the previous one. So Gen X is less religious than boomers. Millennials are less religious than Gen X, and Gen Z is less religious than Millennials. But here's where things get interesting. For the first time in American history, in a generation, Gen Z, women are less religious than men. I'll say that again. Gen Z women 
are less religious and have less religious participation than Gen Z men. Or do a Google search where you search leaving Christianity or women embracing witchcraft, and you will soon get pages upon pages of links to articles and books. I do not think this is a fad. Sure, there are some people out there embracing a witchy aesthetic because it's fashionable. And there are those evangelical preachers that are sure that eventually we will all reject our lives of what they call sin and repent and come back to the fold. But y'all, when I see these videos on TikTok, when I read the articles and the books, when I hear the stories that I have heard from people who have left Christianity and now call themselves witch or are witch curious, I know that this is real. I am, we are, dear witches, part of something massive. Not the creation of a new religious sect, not something that can be institutionalized, though we humans do love to create them. It's bigger than that. If you will, it's deeper and wider. It's a movement that is vertical instead of horizontal, that is happening everywhere and what feels like all at once. But I know that this feeling, this longing for liberation, has been here for a very long time. And spreading like the most tender mycelia in the fertile darkness, decomposing the old and creating fertile soil for the new. I think that what we're witnessing is a quantum entanglement, as described by philosopher and theoretical physicist Karen Barad, who writes, to be entangled is not simply to be intertwined with another, as in the joining of separate entities, but to lack an independent, self-contained existence is not an individual affair, which is we are entangled. We see the ways that we are connected to each other and all of life on this planet and beyond. Together, we are dreaming collective dreams of justice. And as entangled beings, we are refusing old foundations and constructs that were created by people who never considered we might be intertwined or otherwise. We are finding one another through hashtags and synchronistic encounters in person and online. We are writing, painting, singing, loving, and thinking our way into becoming as we look for ways to open up the world. One of my new favorite quotes comes from the post-structuralist philosopher Giles Deleuze, who wrote, To think is to follow the witch's flight. I love that. To think is to follow the witch's flight. So witches, let us think together as we work to unfuck the world and let us fly. My name is Reed Stevenson, and you are listening to the Pastor to High Priestess podcast.
friends. My name is Reed and I am here on the Pastor to High Priestess podcast with a dear friend of mine, a dear friend and goddess, Kate Hildebrandt. And Kate, thank you so much for being here. Would you introduce yourself, please? And who are you today? What are you up to? Tell us what you want us to know about you in this introduction. Sure. My name is Kate Hildebrandt. I am, I'm an American. I have a job, all those things, but <laughs> normal stuff. But I'm a poet. I'm a creator. I'm an alchemist. I am a coach. All kinds of things day to day. And definitely also a lover of beauty and nature, which we'll get into. That's good. I love that. Mm -hmm. And I know all of those things about you to be very mm -hmm. true. So Kate, as this is my new podcast and we are talking about what it is like to have grown up in a churchy environment mm -hmm. or a religious environment, a uh, high demand religion, and mm -hmm. then walking away and where you are right now in your life and how you identify spiritually, religiously, not at all. But I want to start our conversation by asking you to talk a little bit about how you grew up religious wise and yeah where that came from can i start that with a poem that is the opening of my new book because I think yes oh my god here. please please all right <laughs> so this one's called true religion uh and i wanted to put this as the preface for this book because i feel like it sets up everything that i'm not about <laughs> here it goes religion is man's search for god i read in his anthropology books written by him, his story, his tradition, his interpretation. My story reads differently. Our story reads differently. The news story reads differently. Man sees his own reflection and says, I found him. And then he walks out the door and plays God daily. This is true religion, that man takes God in every morning and takes it down on everyone else. That's where we start. <laughs> Wow. Can you read the last can you read the last two lines again? I sure can. This is true religion that man takes God in every morning and then takes it out on everyone else. Okay. Yeah. Bringing it back to me. <laughs> I grew up in church. I can't remember not being in church. I think partially it was due to my parents got divorced when I was pretty young, like third or fourth grade but even before then we were there all the time but I think partially it was due to just single parent household child care is free it's a great thing and I just ended up there a lot but I remember the first time like when I got saved was my very best friend in the world Sandy Georgia Caucus at the time her mom she drew this tape line on the floor and it was that whole cross thing. And this is you over here. This is God over here. You're very separate. There's no way to get there. And the only way to get there is Jesus. And in my seven-year-old mind, who I think already knew that she was so spiritually connected to the world and to everything, I, I was devastated. And I just remember being like, 
yeah, of course I'm going to do that because I, yeah, (laughs) I don't want to be separated from God. And that's what you do. And from there on, I pretty much was so scared of not belonging that I belonged to the best of my ability. I did youth group in the height of parody culture, which is really fun. <laughs> did the whole I kiss dating goodbye thing. Never actually kissed dating hello before that, but okay. Was so scared of dating because of divorced parents and youth group that I just ran away from everything. Had a lot of guy friends, did a lot of cuddling, didn't do anything else. And really like never even dated until I was in my 20s. I led to you at the pole prayer things. I don't know what you call them. Prayer rallies. I don't know. Uh, we were because we were so like persecuted in public school. Quote, I'm putting up lots of air quotes. Yeah, we can't say. See this. <laughs> yeah. So many air quotes. <laughs> and so I was always the first person to make everyone come pray around the flagpole awkwardly uh, every day of the year that we did that. And then I went to a Christian college because I didn't want to be air quotes, lots of air quotes, persecuted anymore. (laughs) And I wanted to like have an easy time. And there I realized, okay, my favorite phrase, which I know you've heard me say before, is I was in the bubble, not of the bubble. (laughs) Um, I did not belong there either. (laughs) I lived on like the edge of everything, the edge of what was acceptable at my Christian college, the edge of what was acceptable outside of my Christian college, and kind of rode those edges for a very long time in my life. I would get in trouble for having blue hair or like a nose piercing or like a shirt that said Jesus loves to dance at my Christian college where we weren't allowed to dance. And at the same time, I was like a goody two shoes to everyone else outside. (laughs) And so (laughs) it was an interesting life. And then I moved to LA and went there for an internship at a church. And I think all of the rest of the bubbles that I had left started bursting, realizing my huge struggles with things like gay people, for goodness sake, and sin and poverty and all of those things were really silly on my end as a white semi-middle-class woman who had not that hard of a life for having a hard life. So, yeah, so that's where everything got to. And then before you go on, oh, yeah. Before, sorry, before you go on, talk more about what you mean about, because I don't want to get away from this, in the bubble, but Mm -hmm. not of the bubble. Yeah. (laughs) I know what you mean. I know exactly what you mean. This is my favorite phrase. Yeah, but talk about that bubble and maybe in a relation to the scare quotes that you've made about being saved mm-hmm. and being good and all that stuff. And also, before I forget this question, didn't you also have an underground swing dance club? Yeah, that's why I had the Jesus Loves to Dance t-shirt. And it At had your- Jesus in a 70s like Saturday Night Fever outfit. And it was the coolest shirt. I wish I still had it. <laughs> but I've, I've moved too many times. That. But but talk about the, before you go on, in the bubble, but not of the bubble, because I think that's important as we forward and talk about deconstruction and stuff like that. Yeah, I had always been a kid who asked a lot of questions. When somebody told me something was the way it was, I was I had a million whys to follow that. One that I remember a lot is 
in high school youth group, my youth pastor gave me this whole talking to because I was hanging out with my best friend, Angela, who was sleeping with her boyfriend in high school, God forbid. And, um, saying I can't spend time with her because it's going to make me unholy. And I remember looking him in the eyes and just saying, I don't think that's what Jesus was about, (laughs) which got me in a lot of trouble. (laughs) And, and I think like being in the bubble, but not of the bubble, like I mentioned the word belonging and like the church, at least for me, I won't speak for everyone's experience, but I've heard this from a lot of people too. They use belonging as such a scare tactic. Mm. And as humans, like in any group we do, in any organized group, belonging is part of survival. Um, And so I think what I did a lot of times now looking back is I belonged enough to keep me in. Uh, I belonged enough to keep my scholarships. I belonged enough to not get kicked out of school. (laughs) I just broke like the minor rule. (laughs) I didn't do anything major. I, I was an emissions major, which I now call like intercultural studies because it's really what I was trying to do. And, and then when I became a comm major, like a communications major also, I did a double. I was told that I was a heathen. (laughs) But this major was offered at your my school. school. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And so I rolled, rode the line even between ministry and like a normal job between that whole time. And yeah, I just, I felt, okay, like I belong here because I'm a Christian. And at the same time, I really don't belong here. Mm. And that was painful a lot of the time and continued to be painful for the next 15 years mm. as I became an adult and grappled with even more. So yeah. 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 Do you want to talk it's about a, the adult part? Yeah. Or, yeah. Sure. Like I said, I moved to LA, thought God was calling me to go do the film industry. Really, I realize now hindsight is a beautiful thing. Lots of therapy is also a beautiful thing. That I was just trying to escape everything that my life was and become my own person and individuate, which is a lovely thing. But <laughs> when you do it well, I moved to LA couple of years before the recession and the writer's strike. So not a great time to do that. Good time to figure out who you are in your 20s, all of those kinds of things. So I was only there for a few years. And I always say it was really easy for me to be in LA. Like it was easy for me to be there because it was so open and diverse and wide. And like, like it's a big ocean is my friend. And <laughs> the spiritual atmosphere was pretty cool, I think. And I didn't even tap into it really there. but. But it was just hard to live there because it's so expensive. And I always had four jobs and all that stuff. So I ended up here in Georgia in 2009 in the middle of the recession. And having been laid off of four jobs, like great entrance to adulthood. Good times. Yeah. Just go and fail and everything and then come back. And I ended up here mainly because I am way too independent to ever go back to my parents' house. <laughs> And my brother lived here, and I thought that was an acceptable thing. <laughs> I landed in Georgia, and I thought I would be here like six months. And then I ended up getting this job at TMS Global, which was an missions organization, still is. 
and worked there for 11 years. Yeah, I'm saying it out loud. I'm doing it. It's happening. Oh, and hey, I'm just here. I'm letting it go, friend. And yeah, worked there for 11 years, about five of which I was done working there. And it was there. I came in, I said, okay, I can do this because when I first got there, they talked the talk really well. Like they talked the anthropology talk. They said, we go and actually survey people, find out what they actually need in their neighborhoods, find out like what will actually be helpful, do those kinds of things. And there are a lot of people to this day in that organization that actually do that. And I really respect those people. (laughs) However, over the years, it just became, especially where I was working, it became the bubble. It became very evangelical. It became very, we're going to put all these rules and I was on the side where I had to know every single thing about people coming into there down to their sexual activity in the past five years. And that'll give you some ulcers. (laughs) And so, yeah. You had to know because of who, because of your position. So it was like people had to tell their Mm -hmm. entire history. Mm -hmm. I I, I didn't realize that shit, Kate. That's, I know. That's heavy stuff. It is. That's heavy stuff. And, knowing whether they did yoga or whether they like that one I tried so hard to get crossed off the list like people do that for exercise it's fine so there were just all these like rules-based things and me as a person I'm about connection I'm about like what is the whole thing and when there's arbitrary rules for rules sake it makes me want to push buttons so hard and so (laughs) So I was pushing buttons right and left, and I am so surprised to this day that I never got fired. (laughs) I tried sometimes. I tried really hard. I was a queer and LGBTQ ally. Um, I was, like, trying to convince these people that LGBTQ population was not coming banging down my door trying to sue them every day. I was speaking up for missionary kids who were trying to find themselves and trying to figure out their identities and uh, I don't know if I was ever heard and that's also really painful but I thought somebody had to do it (laughs) yeah so that was a lot of what and at the same time myself like I'm sitting there getting paid like nothing and being told you're sacrificing for Jesus and doing all these things that you're called to do. And all of that just becomes very, that's a recipe for burnout. And I did. Like my body gave up at least twice there to the point where I had to seek medical attention and they couldn't find anything besides stress. Mm. (laughs) Yeah. So that was fun. And I, I think like it was right before like a couple of years before the pandemic hit, I had started looking for jobs, but there, like the job market wasn't very good. And I had that problem that like so many of us who are in ministry transitioning into the quote unquote real world have of like, how do I transfer these skills? What can I actually do? Yeah. So it was a hard transition and took way longer than I wanted it to. Yeah. And I don't, I, I know mm-hmm. your story, but I want, but I, 
But what I hear you saying and what I have heard you Mm -hmm. say is that transition time, that liminal time between where you're like, yep, time to go. And I actually get to walk out the door. There was Mm -hmm. just this long, liminal, drawn out, frustrating, exhaust time. And in the middle of that, I stopped going to church altogether, which is really not what they want you to do. Well, there was the pandemic. There was the pandemic. No, it was before then. It was before then. (laughs) Maybe you just, Um, you sensed it in your heart. The Holy Spirit laid it on your heart, Sister Kate, and told you, get ready. Hallelujah. (laughs) No, it was basically, so like 2016 had happened, the election and all of that, and that that was a lot. And the Black Lives Matter movement. My dad died in 2017, who I wasn't very close to, but complicated grief is not a thing that you can do in church, is what I found out. <laughs> I went to church a few times after that happened, and I couldn't get out of there fast enough. It was pretty awful. And basically, the people at my work were like, oh, so are you good? Like, at least he's in heaven, which I would, I don't even know how they accepted this answer, but I would be like, I don't know if that comforts me at all. <laughs> Thanks. I don't know if that's good. And then 2018, basically I had just, I was dying. I hadn't really been going a whole bunch. I hadn't really, and I knew, okay, like I either need to go to work, which helps me like survive and eat and pay rent. Or I can go to church. I can't do both. And so like being on Enneagram 7, I came up with a very joking way to do it. Lent was coming up and I told my mom, I'm giving up church for Lent this year. (laughs) I did. And it was really fun. She went to the same church as me at the same time. I did. And I have not been back since. (laughs) It's been quite a while. Um, People did that. So like, I would imagine that was an acceptable thing to say because I remember reading like before the word deconstruction became a Mm -hmm. big there were people saying i'm gonna give up church for lent i'm gonna Mm -hmm. see what else is going on out there and i i never followed up to see if people went back we know you did not go back i did Uh, not go back yeah yeah i haven't i haven't gone to a church in a long time not even well, except for there's like an old church over here that holds ecstatic dances on Sundays. And sometimes <laughs> I go to that, but that's not church. That's real church. So no, it's fine. I, yeah, I, it didn't go well. Everyone, including my mom and my brother and family who he's a pastor kept asking me when I was going to go back. And I did end up telling my boss at the time, because I thought we had a trusting friendship relationship, that I had stopped going to church because I couldn't hack it anymore. And she didn't tell on me and get me fired for some reason, but fired. I don't know if I would have been fired for that. Um, I don't know if they would have done that because just lawsuits and things. Um, but George is a right to work site. So they could have done it. I've seen people let go from the organization for other things, not for the right thing, but <laughs> yeah. Again, I was surprised and I just kept on going to work and started doing a lot of code switching, started doing a lot of masking and just 
kept going. I could talk the talk really well. I had done it forever. And I still did some arguing about theology because that's really fun for me. I'll still do that to this day. Anybody who wants to talk about theology, we can talk about it. But <laughs> I, I'm educated. But uh, yeah, I just left yeah. for the most part. And what you're describing, and I don't know that mm-hmm. that you and I have really ever talked about this aspect of it, but in hearing you talk about describing your job and how you are unraveling and deconstructing and doing mm-hmm. all of these things there. I know, you know, people in your organization for your of previous association and outside and the same who can't leave mm-hmm. their job because mm-hmm. capitalism is real. Like you have to be able to eat, you have to be mm-hmm. able to pay your bills. And even though People don't always get paid well. They're getting paid enough to survive and they can't just easily leave. I get, I don't know, I think I get Facebook messages or Instagram messages, Mm -hmm. I don't know, once or twice a month telling people asking me, like, how did you get out? And I have a not, I have a similar, but not similar story to you. I, I had to wait. And I've obviously had the financial resources at a certain point to be able to do that. But being stuck, and this is my phrase, not your phrase, but you've heard me use this phrase before, behind enemy lines, Mm -hmm. like where you have to code switch, where you have to Mm -hmm. behave. And now I'm using the scare quotes. You have to behave yourself and act a certain way. So you don't out yourself as someone who thinks it's complete and total bullshit because you have to eat right yeah and I've seen this happen to so many people and I've seen a lot of people just walk out I having heard my earlier story of being laid off so many times and being in a recession like I I wasn't gonna do that (laughs) I wasn't gonna leave without another job and that job didn't come until the fall of 2021 so it was quite a long time that I was just going to work. I was the safe person for some people to talk to there. And I won't talk much about that for their sake, but yeah, I was glad to be that person. And that was the the thing that I was okay about being there. Yeah. And that's the thing mm-hmm. too, because I am an eight on the Enneagram mm-hmm. and anger is my favorite bad feeling. You don't know me, Kate. Mm-hmm. I don't know you. You don't know me. <laughs> yeah. Wanting to be so angry at past, past participation or shame. Like, I can't believe mm-hmm. I stayed and I was, I held up this institution, but I was interviewing Lenny Duncan yesterday mm-hmm. for an upcoming episode. And he talked about how that there were loving people inside the institutions that just get chewed up and spit out like everybody else. And in some ways, it's, I think this is a different way of thinking about holy work but if as we see the world deconstructing, as we see people waking up and realizing, and I'll speak for myself again, I was raised in a cult, high demand religion. It, it, there were good people along the way. And then you're talking about how you had the opportunity to be a safe person for people. I had the opportunity to be a safe person for people. And it is still hard as hell mm-hmm. to hang in and do that. But like looking back and realizing that was holy work that has nothing to do with God, that has nothing to do with anything other than sitting with another human being saying, I hear you. How can I help you? 
something like right. that. Yeah. Mm. Right. And I watched you struggle and I watched you yeah. do, do good work and shifting now. Whenever, before we, we started recording for this, you said to me that there were different times. It, it was two different things, you leaving the mm -hmm. church and you mm -hmm. realizing you were a witch. Let's, we've talked about leaving church. Let's talk about, let's talk about the juicy stuff. And I'm going to, Kate is actually the first witch I ever did a spell with. We'll talk about that. That's a good time. Good time. Such a good I time. Know. Mind your business. But yeah, mind your business. Um, but yeah, talk about, Kate, when did you know you were a witch? Yeah, it was a weird time. <laughs> in, in 2019, I'm now calling this my year of permission, which if you see me on Instagram or anywhere else, permission is my thing. It's my jam. I have a tattoo on my wrist now that says permission. And I just started giving myself permission to do whatever felt right, whatever felt good, trying to learn how to trust my intuition again. Mm. Or for the first time, maybe. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> for the first time, at least since I was a kid. And I had remembered being, yeah, I had remembered being a really intuitive kid. Like I always had dreams as a kid. And then I would see the thing that was in my dreams. Like I remember having those kind, which of course the church will call prophetic dreams. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know what I call them now, but they're there. But I remember them happening a lot when I was a kid and very specific things that I would just see in my dream and then it would be there. And yeah, I just started trying different things to see what stuck. I went to my first sound bath that year and ended up with a really cool manta ray tattoo from that experience. <laughs> I was like swimming with some manta rays and my sound bath relaxation time. I don't know. And I went to tarot, like I had tarot readings for the first time, which I always thought was like very scary <laughs> before then. <laughs> yeah. And realized, oh, no, this is just another way to look at intuition. This is just another way to do, like, self-work. And I, I did a Quaker meeting. That was pretty cool. Can I just <laughs> ask a question now in the context of sure. where I was all like, over the place. <laughs> I always are. Editing will help if we go <laughs> rabbit trailing. But so you're talking about 2019 being your year of permission. Mm -hmm. And you went to the sound bath and you did the tarot readings and everything like that. Did you, were you, why, why? like, why was something missing? Were you like, oh, I should um, be in a different way? I guess I just wanted to experience things that I thought were outside of what I could or what I was allowed to. And I wanted to see... I had always been drawn to those kind of things, but I was never allowed to do them. And I never allowed Devil myself was leading to. you astray, Kate. All right, exactly. Did a good job. Success. <laughs> so, yeah, it was that whole year, like, I really just tried a bunch of stuff. Got my first tarot deck, which I still have. Did all, just all kinds of things and didn't go to church. Goodness. And then in 2020, during the very isolating times that we had, I'm also a major extrovert and being alone for a very long time is not good for me at all. <laughs> However, like right before that, I had started researching my ancestry, which is weird because if one thing about me is I have never had any interest in that. I come from a weird broken family. I was just like, all right, my ancestors are my ancestors. I don't care about them. I'm not like a history person. <laughs> 
And I just had this like really strong feeling to find out who my people were mm. and couldn't find a whole bunch. Did my ancestry.com or whatever it was, all those things. And just was really drawn to this one person. It was my great grandmother on my father's side. And I don't know if it was a podcast or a book. I read a lot of things. I listened to a lot of things that year that talked about just like talking to your ancestors. And I was like, I'm going to try that. (laughs) I just started using meditation or eventually a pendulum, which I always also thought was very evil. (laughs) But here we are. My tarot deck and just started asking her questions about my family and myself and my identity. And I seriously, I kid you not, and I know that you probably heard me say this during that time, but I thought just about every other day, am I going crazy? Is this normal? Am I just hearing voices? Like, <laughs> she would show up in my dreams. And I think I told you this story, but one time early on, I asked her to teach me something in my dreams. And she showed up, her and this other lady. And I didn't know the other lady. I hadn't seen a picture of her. And they were like showing me things in the woods, like showing me plants and stuff like that were healing. And they're teaching me all these things and they taught me how to be myself. And like a few months after that, I was looking on like the updates on my ancestry uh, app and they had a picture of my great-grandmother's mom and that was the other lady in the dream oh that is no i you did not tell me that i don't know if i told you that yeah now i told you but but yeah and i told you like dreams are the thing for me they're they've always been the thing and i think really like she was teaching me how to do like how to do spells how to do plants how to do which stuff which life And you're a forager. You're an avid forager. That's something you didn't at the the beginning, but you're the one in our friend group Mm -hmm. when I know, at least for me, but I think there, I know other people from our friend group. It's, I I think this plant is this. I'm going to text Kate. I'm going to send Kate this message. And just the things I know that I have learned from you about foraging and then also working with my ancestors, because it was it was hearing your story mm-hmm. that encouraged me mm-hmm. to have a dumb supper and begin hanging out with my ancestors. But the thing that came up for me whenever you were talking about this is keep thinking I, when you were saying like I did this and I thought, oh, this is the worst thing in the world, because the things that we were taught mm-hmm. growing up in the church is that, number one, anything that was not God was mm-hmm. the devil. There is, mm-hmm. there's, it's a demon. It's either God at, or Jesus. Some, one of the people in the Trinity that is talking to you, the Holy Spirit has laid something on your heart or it is the devil. And I, I am learning that this is manipulation and control. It is how you are kept, how you are kept in. If you question uh, and even asking questions, like you're not supposed to question anything at all because if you question something you're rebellious or you have sin in your life or the devil's got a hold of you like you don't Mm -hmm. question and so 
looking at those things, like you were talking the first time I had a tarot reading. I say, the first time I had a tarot reading, I'm like looking around going, what happened? I'm still here. I think I'm still here. There was no lightning. But those intuitive mm-hmm. like practices, like when you're not caught, when you're not cut off. And something that I have also learned from you, and maybe you have a poem about this, but your permission and being in your body. I know you and I have um, worked together and created classes in the past about freedom in your body. And something I'm working through right now is just, even though I know I've been on my deconstruction journey for a while, I still have those messages that come up in my body. Because if you've heard these messages for several decades, Mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden you're like, wait, I'm, I can trust my body. There's still that internal, that internal fight. And I know you put me onto a book by Jamie Lee Finch called You Are Your Own. It's right there. there. (laughs) Yeah. But um, can you, and I know in your poetry, especially in your Mm -hmm. most recent poetry book, you talk a lot about being good, like it's Mm -hmm. it's called becoming good. And, and so I wonder if you have, I hope that made sense what I just yeah. said, but talk to me, Kate. What yeah. you got? And I pulled this one. Actually, it does have to do with that a little bit as poetry does. It's a little, it's a little veiled, but <laughs> there are some other ones in here that are a little bit spicier. And that was my, I've been dealing with being, I don't know if it's anxiety or just leftover purity bullshit, but releasing this book has been giving me. But this one I pulled really for that year of permission and and what that looked like. And it's Blessed Be Part 2. Part 1 is about, like, basically I wrote it for the Part 1 for my teenage niece and it's about becoming a woman and, like, how, like, becoming a woman is strange work. It's good work. And so Blessed Be Part 2 has to do with a lot of the un- unbecoming. <laughs> All right. Blessed be hips that carry the weight of secret fears tucked away for some other time. Red eyes concealed. Red lips worn like armor. I check them in the rear view, making ready for the war inside. Blessed be scales that fell away, revealing true colors, sharp and clear for the first time. Sight and even hindsight, it slaps me on the cheek, singing just hard enough to shake me from my sleep. Blessed be intuition growing, practicing pleasure, like I used to rehearse songs, running over every note from myself to me. I read them like music, singing freedom into being, humming future melodies. Wow. Yeah. You got us so um, good. That is so good. Thanks. I'm still not used to people like reacting to my poetry, so here we are. <laughs> like in real I, time <laughs> oh it, it is so beautiful and it's so beautiful you do you have another one you want to read yeah it's actually opposite this one i'm sure my like doggy bookmarks it's opposite this one and this one is really when i was starting to realize you asked me when i realized i was a witch and this is really about realizing my power it's called silver eyes When I was a kid, I read The Girl with the Silver Eyes. She moved objects with her mind. Her gift made her strange and unusual. It made her powerful, something to be feared. Now that I am a woman, 
I read the sky. I read the tri- tree line. I read the heart. I read the body. I move words with my mind. This gift makes this gift makes me strange and unusual. It makes me powerful, something to be feared. Perhaps I am that girl, silver eyes, curious mind, power beyond words. That is so good. Oh my yes, God. I don't remember who the author is, but if you're find the girl with the silver eyes, you should read it. It's really great. I'm writing it down. Girl with the silver eyes. Yeah. Oh, I was really into that book when I was a kid. I which shouldn't surprise us now. <laughs> yeah, those things that looking back now, the things that I when you hear lots of people who identify as a witch now say, oh, I did this or I collected rocks or I mm-hmm. did all of that. I, we don't know what we don't know. I definitely did all of that. I yeah. was a total rock collector, a total like nature watcher. Uh, the foraging really came. My dad taught me a lot of that when I was younger and I forgot it because of my relationship with him. And then relearned it at the same time when I started talking to my ancestors. So, yeah. <laughs> Which I, I still am blown away by mm-hmm. that story. That's an incredible story. Mm-hmm. So another story I said earlier that I did my first spell with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was still like struggling using, like saying, oh, I'm a witch. It's, oh, I'm a witch. Hot. Because I'm still figuring out what it means to me to be a witch. And I'm going to ask you that in a minute, but I'm going to I'm going to tell the mm-hmm. story. But this was it the gun control. Imagine that. Imagine, if you will, one of the many duty <laughs> in the United States. And I think there was even something going on with our governor, Brian Kemp, yeah. where he there was. Yes. And you like mm-hmm. for. Mm, can I call our governor a dumbass motherfucker? I think I just did. But like not needing a permit to carry a gun or to be able to carry a gun on university campuses in the state of Georgia, because we should in this political climate, let people who don't have a fully developed frontal lobe carry a gun and carry a gun without a permit. What the fuck? Anyway, there was something going on and Kate and I were hanging out and this was not long after people were coming out of their houses um, from the mm-hmm. pandemic and, and we were hanging out and being being careful and uh, I happen to live near a cemetery and Kate comes over and we are going to do a spell uh, a binding spell or some kind of spell was it a binding spell I think so I think so yeah because I said I I've never been into hexes I'm still not into hexes I yeah I'm so getting I, would do bind- I would do binding <laughs> yes yes, yes. And mm-hmm. so we were going to do a binding spell. So you came over and it was just, bless our hearts. We were so cute. And it was, but we decided we're going to go into this, into this cemetery. I have my cauldron, which is a, an old cast iron skillet. That was one of my great grandmothers. And Kate, <laughs> we need protection. We need protection. So Kate has like frankincense and these things. And we don our, we get ourselves ready. and. We're going to go to the cemetery and we're going to be covert. Yet we go to the cemetery. We drive to the cemetery in my partner's bright yellow Jeep. And so we drive in and we stop at the beginning of or the opening, the entrance to the, the cemetery because Kate's I've got an offering 
for the Morrigan, who is the keeper of the gate. And so I was like, should I pull over? And you said, no, don't pull over. And then you threw poppy seeds out. And we found a place in the cemetery and we sat down and we did a binding spell. I think the binding spell that we asked for is that the people who kept making these laws would be haunted with nightmares Mm -hmm. until unbound by that, until they did the right thing. Now realizing. I I can only guess it's still working. I hope so. I hope so. I hope. Well, I just remember the reason I wanted to tell that story is because Mm -hmm. I remember in that moment, first of all, in that cemetery, there were people who were driving around doing things and no one was making eye contact. Mm -hmm. And so it was that very much mind your business mentality, but like feeling connected to some kind of divine doing that with a person who was like minded. Mm -hmm with a friend where we both wanted justice and we wanted to do this thing together. And we look back now and there were things that were funny, but like that day was so important to me to be able to do something Mm -hmm. because at that point I had stopped praying. I didn't pray anymore. I, but to be able to do that and sit and feel like there was a connection to the divine and sitting in a graveyard, sitting on this, in this land of our And using elements and all of that. I just, I remember that day quite fondly, Kate. Yeah. I forgot that was your first one. Oh, yeah. I hadn't done that many more before then. So (laughs) I wasn't very experienced. You took my spell spell virginity. Oh, man. Yeah. I've always loved cemeteries. That's been one of my like. I should have known things. And I've always loved ritual. I Even when I was still in the church, I tried to find more ritual to do. <laughs> like I got really into Anglican and different like Orthodox things and like finding the like incense. I've always been into smell, smells and bells as they call yeah. them. <laughs> yeah. I did the same that. thing growing up Pentecostal mm-hmm. and then finding, getting into the ritual and mm-hmm. then finding ritual and embracing ritual. Until standing, I think for me, one day I was standing, leading people in the creed. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't believe that line. Yeah. And I don't yeah. believe that line. And I don't believe that line. And yeah. like, when I realized I couldn't recite the part about, I believe in the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, this is, I don't believe any of this anymore. But I love ritual as well. Is there a ritual, Kate, that um, you return to or or even something that's new, something that helps you feel connected that you want to share? Yeah, um, really so much about witchcraft. And I you struggled to call myself a witch for a very long time, mainly because just the weight of the word Like I always struggled with the word missionary because I didn't want to do it like colonialism, even when I was doing it. (laughs) And I struggled with witch in the same way because it's always been used to basically like to kill women. And so I didn't know if I wanted to claim that or not. And like much respect to everyone who has and does throughout history, but reclaim that word. I'm still with it, but I think I am more comfortable with it now. 
it was really funny to me the first time. Having just talked about rituals and other things and some astrology, my my current manager, like who has known me before this and has known me for a little while throughout some different phases, said something about, okay, being the, the witch on our staff. <laughs> it's like, okay. <laughs> so <laughs> there was sure. just a found some comfortability. And rituals, the same way, I'll bring it back to that. There's a lot. It's just the rhythms. When I've always been somebody who's about practicing rhythms and finding like the rhythms that make sense and realizing like in nature, everywhere, there's seasons, there's full moons. My Aquarius full moon right now that we have lovely. It's huge and I'm drinking moon water. That's one of my rituals. And I don't do it every time. And one of the beautiful things that I realized about witchcraft is like it doesn't have to be perfect and aesthetic and beautiful and like you don't have to have all the right words or the right herbs you can just practice it and make it find the things that are meaningful to you and every single day I pull three tarot cards I started that practice actually like that's I have kept up this practice way longer than I could ever keep up a quiet time when I was a Christian (laughs) I know we've talked about that same same yeah so I've been I think for a few years now I've been like pulling tarot cards and writing them down and processing through them and writing down significant events that are happening then and cross-referencing every year for my birthday I get an astrology reading with somebody that I know and trust who is such a nerd and so smart who doesn't like do that predictive stuff just says here's what's going on and (laughs) how's that fit what does that look like and I think Um, that yeah like is what makes that ritual I think sustainable because you're not and I think if Mm -hmm. I could help anyone who is like listening to this thinking oh I can't do tarot it's just predicting the future it isn't about predicting the future it is very rarely predicting the future it is intuitive like where I what are my blind spots what is Uh happening with me and the other thing that I like about it I am, of course, you've, of course, you, Kate, have done this every day for three, uh, three, three cards every day for years. I fall off of the Mm -hmm. tarot practice rhythm sometimes. But what I am finding that unlike the time with when it was quiet time, making the scare quotes Mm -hmm. again, like people getting up at four o'clock in the fucking morning to read their Bible, like I tried to, to flip open their Bible and practice bibliomancy. Yes. Which yes. is just its own divination. Let me find a word. Yeah. Yeah. A anyway. word. <laughs> but like when I am not in, I haven't been doing my tarot pulls, there is no guilt when I come back. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There yeah. Is, I skip a couple of days here and there and I just come right back to it because it's, yeah. it's just part of it's sitting right here in my living room it's part of my life there's no pressure there's no guilt yeah. shame you yeah didn't do this you didn't connect yeah. yeah yeah it's been a long time since I've done some sort of like very involved very detailed anything yeah. um I really just practice every day uh one thing that I love that I've started doing this past year is a little bit of glamour magic I use this perfume every single day now not sponsored olivine atelier it's called mermaid moon it has fluorite in the bottom mm. uh, it makes me happy and i just started wearing it every day 
just as like an attractor. And another thing that I do pretty much every day is some sort of flower essences. I make a lot of them myself. It's not a tincture. It's not medicine. It is just energy of those particular flowers. And I use those pretty much every day. Can uh, you say yeah. Like, yeah, sure. what? Yeah. So what what is to you, what is the meaning? So do you mind sharing what flower essence you use today? Yeah, I use three of them. I actually pulled them down because I thought you might ask. <laughs> These you are know some me of my great. favorites. These are some of my favorites over the past year. Camellia. And I use, I will say, and I will encourage anyone who is looking at practicing with flowers, especially, or plants, look around you and use what's there because often what is growing near you is what you need. And so I've always just used whatever is I can find and whatever draws my attention, whatever I'm curious about. Camellia is this beautiful flower. This one grows in the winter and I don't think I made this on any particularly special day. Some of them I've made like on a solstice or things like that. This one is about heart and Venus, and I've been using this especially during Venus retrograde right now because Camellia is Venus in the way of like a mother who wants what truly is best for you and what kind of love and what kind of connection and what kind of self-love that you actually need. And so I've been using this a lot. Today I used, this is one of my favorites, especially in Georgia, you will see these everywhere, trumpet creepers. Mm-hmm. which is those like bright orange flowers that grow every, all <laughs> over everything. They, the energy of them is really very like throat chakra, freedom in your speech, being able to express what you want to express. And sometimes, and I use this a lot when I was doing a lot of that code switching that we talked about, expressing what needs to be expressed. And so I would use it to give me a little bit of oomph on days when I knew I was going to need it. And then I also today use honeysuckle because honeysuckle is one of my favorite summer flowers. Mm-hmm. And again, very common, but it is just like the sweetness of being present. And also as an Enneagram 7, I am often in my head and not present. And this helps me to remember that every day. So like everything else, and I... I'm a person who wholeheartedly believes in magic and wholeheartedly believes in so much power and energy. Mm-hmm. And yet at the same time, even if all of these things are just in my head, are just intention, okay, they still work. Yeah. You know? So yeah. that's where I come to it with. I love it. I yeah. love it. So before you read some more poetry, mm-hmm. can you please share with people who are listening where to find you, where to follow you mm-hmm. on social media platforms and about the work that you have put out into the world. Sure. Yeah, I am at an interesting point right now. A lot of the work that I have out right now is just my poetry because, and I don't even want to say just there, but <laughs> is poetry because I started right before I turned 40 last year. I said, I have to put out my first book. It has to be in the world. We're doing this. I don't care. I'm just going to do it myself. And (laughs) so last year I put out, I carry a slide, which was my first one. It's very like memoir meets ocean meets uh, all the stories of me. 
that I'm sure that everyone else can relate to because we've all been kids and we've all grown up and the, and water is a part of all of us. And then this, I knew as soon as I put that book out that more would come. I didn't realize how quickly. (laughs) So I put that out in, I say last year, it's still this year. I put it out in February or the end of January, right before I turned 40. And July 1st, I put out Becoming Big because a lot of these poems were with me already. And I had written a lot of them already. And some of them were being written at that time and just realizing that they all went together. And really the story that I needed to tell at that point was my... How do I want to say this? There's one that I write that's that's actually about walking out of an empty tomb. It's really a story of my rebirth (laughs) and integration, reclaiming all this religious language that I'd grown up with, that I was so comfortable with using and then so uncomfortable with being around Mm -hmm. and really reclaiming that for who I am now as well as sexuality and body stuff, because that's a part of also who I am. And and that's a part of my practice too. (laughs) So yeah, I put that out. Where you can find me is a lot of it on Instagram. If you look up permission alchemy, one, one word, no spaces, just permission alchemy. That's where you can find my poetry. Eventually, I will have some sort of shop that has t-shirts and prints and things like that, as well as possibly some flower essences, potions. I was hoping so. Yes. Yeah. And and I'm also a coach and would love to walk you through what is what is your year of permission look like? How can we get you more free and more yourself and being like your wild and wonderful weirdo self in this world just by writing your own permission slips? Yeah. You know what else? Before you read your some poetry, it just occurred to me. Mm -hmm. You were also the first coach I ever met with. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. And a very different chapter of both of our lives. I was still pastoring. Um, You were still working at the organization you worked at. Wow. Look at us. We made it to the other side. We're still doing it. Oh, I am. I'm just going to let you close out with the poems yeah. I want to read. But before that, Kate, I just want to say thank you. Thank you so much for sharing your time, for sharing your stories, for sharing your poetry and the beautiful, brilliant, um, shining light, the goddess that you are in such a beautiful and vulnerable way. I am truly grateful for your time. So read us out, Kate. Yeah, I just got one more. And this is yeah, this is the one where when you first asked me on, I said, oh, I have to read this one. <laughs> also, I'm wearing snake earrings for people who can't see. Snakes have become a very important thing in my life. And I've always been about them. I grew up in Florida. I was handling snakes way before I knew it was a Pentecostal thing. I didn't even go to any of those kind of churches. It's not all. Not all. <laughs> Hashtag not all Pentecostals. No, (laughs) let's not start that one. But I, yeah, I grew up with snakes. We always had at least two to three of them on our back porch. My brother would catch them. I would catch them. And 
as you grow up in church, you find out they're, that they're the symbol of all the evil. And also then you find out later that they're the symbol for women. And that's also evil <laughs> and yes. not cool. This poem. <laughs> it's called A Snake All Along. I was raised with snakes, cold-blooded yet consistent and calm. I was never afraid until I heard the snake was the villain in this story, in his story. Granting a woman wisdom, calling her equal to God, calling her equal to man, it was the poison and the fruit hand-fed their version of events. The serpent deceived, my heart deceived. We were never to be trusted. So I walked straight, eyes on the path, away from the trees, full of fruit and shame. I thought I was safe, drinking unfermented juice, eating unleavened bread, until their nourishment became venom in my veins, flowing my steps. Silence found me alone, still enough to hear the small voice left inside me, whispering wisdom as I raised my eyes, searching for serpent. The trees were quiet, no scales, no forked tongues. It was then that I realized I must have been a snake all along, and I am no longer afraid. Wow, that is beautiful. Thanks, Kate. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Pastor to High Priestess podcast. If this project is meaningful to you, please tell your friends and loved ones about what's going on here, and please rate the podcast and leave a review. You can follow this podcast on social media at Pastor to High Priestess podcast on Facebook and at P2HP pod on Instagram. Thank you to Kate Hildebrandt for talking deconstruction and witchcraft with me. You can find Kate on Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook at Permission Alchemy. You can support Kate by purchasing her books of poetry. And if you want to do coaching work with Kate, which I highly recommend as Kate once upon a time was my coach, visit her website at katehildebrandt.com. And thanks again to Sandra Porter for sharing her song with us, Glass House. You can find Sandra's music on Apple Music as well as Spotify. And before I go, I want to follow up from our last episode and let you know that Lenny Duncan's book, Psalms of My People, is now available for pre-order wherever you buy your books. And all those links will be in the show notes. Thanks again for listening. Take good care, friends.